Oh, hi, everyone. Thanks very much for joining us. My name is Chris Freeman, and I'll be hosting this Barron's podcast. I am the chairman of Barron's Advisor Programs in Australia. And today we are very lucky to have Renato Motta, the CEO of Insignia Financial, with us. Welcome, Renato, and thanks for your time. Good to be with you, Chris. Yeah, good. It's been a while. Um, just before we start, I might uh, say that I've known Renata and worked with him um, for many, many years, for a long time. We've actually done a couple of trips to the States together over those years, and we visited Barron's in, in New York, and I know Renato has um, been to our Barron's conferences here in Australia. But uh, I just want to say for the record, I knew Renato before he was famous. Anyway, um, uh, I... I Thought it'd be really uh, interesting to get Renato along, and we're sort of just talking off air there, as the banks are sort of rushing for the exit doors in um, financial planning. Uh, Insignia has been, you know, standing at the exits, picking picking up advisors and dealer groups and the like. And um, today, yeah, they own some of the and control some of the biggest names in financial planning. You know, over the last couple of decades, you know, groups like. Bridges, Consultum, MLC, Godfrey Pembroke, Shad Force, Retire Invest, Millennium 3, Lonsdale. Um, how many advisors does uh, Insignia control in both terms of employees and IFAs? Chris, we've got, a, uh, we've got relationships with uh, just under 1,500 advisors. So that's across both um, what we call professional services, so what our employee channels like Bridges and Shadforth, and then our uh, advisory services, so the self-employed channels uh, across some of those names you've just mentioned there. Okay. So that's about 10% of the total advice market. Is that right? Yeah, roughly, yeah. Okay. And um, do you think we talked about the banks, you know, um, exiting. Do you think the banks will re-enter the advice space down the track? Chris, if you've been around as long as you have or I have, we've seen them. We've seen the banks uh, step into stockbroking going back in the day and then uh, realising that wasn't the market for them. And then early 2000s, late 90s, they step into wealth, um, super, advice, investments. Um, and I think maybe with one exception, they're all out and we've been beneficiary of buying a couple of those businesses. <clears throat> so the question is, well, are, are they going to go third time? And my, my view on that one is they will, just in a different form. And the, the reason of that belief is, is the the totality of the client relationship is just simply too important. And the equity side of the balance sheet, so if you think of banks are dealing to the debt side, <clears throat> the equity side of the balance sheet is too important for the banks to ignore. Um, the, the question that I think is is um, to be answered is, will they arrive at that through product uh, manufacturing, superannuation investments, other solutions, or will it be more through an advisory relationship? And I think some sort of digital advice relationship I think is suited to to where the banks are currently investing and and I think their desire is to be closer to the closer to the client than any other uh, institution. So I think they will be back, but but probably in a very different form to what we've seen them there in the past. yeah, that that sort of makes sense. I read somewhere where you said that um, you want to be an advice led company. Um, and you know we all know that that's a tough business. Uh, running a dealer group, a profitable dealer group, has been problematic, especially after the FOFA changes. 
and you basically bet the farm on that. Um, what makes you so confident of your success? Yeah, I don't think we bet the farm on on advice necessarily, Chris, in that if, if you look at the business, who we are today, and certainly um, particularly since the acquisition of MLC, we are a large superannuation firm. Um, we serve over 2 million Australians and a lot of our economics, a lot of our footprint revolves around, uh, around um, superannuation. And a big part of that has to do with our workplace superannuation environment. So dealing with some of the largest employees in the country and, and being um, the provider of choice for superannuation services, which complements our advice business. Our language around uh, being advice-led as a strategy, and we're now really talking about ourselves as a financial wellbeing organisation, recognises the importance and the privilege that advisors have to understand their clients better than anyone else. And I think irrespective of what industry you're in, as a business, everyone aspires to understand their client better than anyone else and using that as a competitive advantage. We identified many years ago that advice is where product manufacturers understand their clients better than anyone else. It's through the advice relationship, the intimacy that comes from that relationship, <clears throat> that we're able to serve clients better than others. So you're right, as, as others were, were looking to get out of advice, either because of the, the reputational risks or, or their operating models or the losses, we saw a unique opportunity to, to, to recognise that asset as the piece of the wealth management value chain where the advisor understands a client better than anyone else. We, we had a hypothesis that actually we think we can build an economic model here that certainly doesn't lose money in the self-employed, in supporting self-employed advisors, uh, and frankly makes very good attractive margins in the employed model. So we felt that that was really powerful, but more importantly than anything else, being closer to the advisor actually helps inform our product strategy better than others. And it's yeah. that piece that I think is really important as well. It's using the advisory mindset, being close to them, seeking to understand their problems to build better products, not being a product-led organisation, which is we've designed the best solution and then run around town trying to find someone who thinks who agrees with you. So it's about really being advisor-centred in our thinking and help that inform our product strategy, not the other way around. Now, that, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, actually starting with the customer or the client and then the advisor and then, you know, develop your product strategy around that makes a lot of sense. A lot of people underestimate, you know, the power of the relationship the advisor has with their clients and um, how, you know, uh, close they get to their clients. So I can sort of see see that uh, strategy working. Um, and what, just on that, what do you think clients want from a financial advisor? Look, in many ways, I think that the client wants from a financial advisor hasn't changed in two or three decades. Uh, I mean, they want peace of mind. That They want someone they can trust with what they probably consider to be highly complex matters. And financial affairs are only getting more complex, not less, for a couple of reasons. Uh, I think the ageing population means there, there are new new thematics and new problems to solve that probably didn't exist 20 or 30 years ago. Retirement, aged care. Uh, and most people will have to go through that once, probably twice in their lives, looking after their parents and then looking after themselves. So there's, there's a complexity in life generally that is beyond most people and where that they are willing and looking for a trusted advisor, mm. and, and so I think that's that's um, the, the main the main driver, and has always been there. Um, 
I think where the industry is evolving is recognising what I'd call the humanistic or the behavioural value proposition of financial advice uh, alongside, if not ahead of, um, the algorithmic aspects of financial advice, which is solving the the portfolio construction conundrums. I, I I think we've done pretty well as an industry and I think we've got that down to a fine art. But that that shouldn't and is not a replacement for the behavioural and humanistics aspects and the value that a client receives, which is simply uh, feeling better about themselves, understanding they have a problem, feeling empowered, or actually taking on new habits, be it saving more, spending less, um, understanding the value of compounding. So there are whole aspects, I think, um, that financial advisors, when they're at their best, are contributing a tremendous amount of value. Yeah, no, there's no doubt about that. And I think that the... um... One of the most important things that financial advisors give their end investors is holding the course in times of market dislocations or corrections or what have you. And I think that's one of the most valuable things an advisor can give because people haven't got advice. They just panic. They believe what they read in the paper. It's the end of the world. And, you know, all the cheery news they see on television, they just panic. So advisors really come to their own there, I think. Uh, we, and we saw that during COVID, Chris. I mean, we we given the nature of our business, we we had two natural cohorts: those that were advised and those that were unadvised uh, during COVID. And we saw the difference in trading across yeah. those two cohorts. Yeah. And with the benefit of hindsight, we, we know what happened following COVID if, with respect to investment markets. And for a large part of the population, particularly those uh, that were unadvised, um, at a generic level, they were far worse off because they missed a significant rally that. That occurred thereafter. So um, you're right that that holding the course and and actually understanding what matters. It's it's less about what the stock market did in any given week, more so about someone's goals and desires over the medium to long term. Exactly. I think it's that discipline and behaviours that I, I think where the value of advice really shines through. Yeah, and I think advisors have moved from you know picking picking next week's winners to more holistic advice, and that's what we're talking about. You know, what are your goals? What do you want to be in five years, ten years? How do we get there? Is sort of less relevant to us actually getting there. You know, so yeah. it's becoming more professional. So with advisor numbers dropping the way they have, um, and you know, superannuation guarantee increasing, you know, the the, the superannuation pool is getting bigger. And um, I think Australia is three or four in terms of total assets in the world, which is quite amazing for a country of 26, 27 million people at the end of the world. You know, in all honesty, we are the Tasmania of the world with respect to all the Tasmanians. But I mean, have the third or biggest, you know, um, superannuation market. It's um, a great opportunity for a company like yours, but also for advisors. And the complexity of tax and superannuation, you need an advisor. Yeah, look, we we certainly believe in that opportunity, <clears throat> not only in financial advisors themselves, but also I think the services and offerings that the continuum of services you can create around financial advice. And what I mean by that is, given the size of you know, as you said, the fifteen odd thousand financial advisors, there's a there's going to be a, a limit as to how many Australians we can serve. So let's call that ten percent of Australians. The question that we're turning our mind to is what do you do for the other 50, 60, 70% of Australians? Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, th- there's no doubt that not everyone will have the luxury of being able to sit in front of an advisor in a human-to-human context, yeah. but are there services and technologies which we can provide and leverage 
to create other experiences that at least get them on the path to better decision-making, better habits, maybe a little bit more knowledge, um, and actually create a continuum, if you like, or a glide path towards holistic planning. Right. And are you talking here about robo-advice or...? Yeah, look, technology is a big part of it. I I wouldn't use the term robo because robo has become sort of a means to itself in the sense that we don't think it's just the technology. I think a combination of technology and humans is is probably um, a a model that's probably more akin to a holistic offer. But but for some people, Chris, and as you know, it's it's simply understanding where they're at, a bit of a stock take. You know, are you you earning more than you're spending? Yep. Um, And then go ahead. Uh, so, so I think for, for some it starts with knowledge. Yeah. For others, it's it might be some form of intrafund advice and some limited assistance. And for others, I think ultimately it's for. And I'd argue for most people, there'll be a point in time in their lives where holistic planning of some sort will be of value. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. And and I think that you know, as I said before, with the complexity of superannuation laws and taxation laws in this country. Every Australian really needs advice. They may not think they do, but they do at some stage, and the earlier the better. Um, just changing gears, uh, what do you think your biggest challenges are at Insignia? There are a few, and, and, and positively, I should say, and, and I think part of that comes comes about from putting two large organisations together to creating one of Australia's largest financial wellbeing organisations or wealth managers yeah. in, in an industry that is fragmenting or, or has been fragmenting before it ultimately converges again. And our hypothesis, certainly when we acquired MLC, was that we were going through a process of recreating the wealth management industry, mm-hmm. probably something akin to what we would have experienced in the in the 90s, for example, where you had a handful of specialist wealth management players standalone alongside the banks uh, that, that had trusted reputations and people would go to for, for issues, whether it was securing their, their future through life insurance or superannuation or financial advice. I think the dominance of the bank over the last 20 years created a different sort of market, but but that that won't be the next 20. And our view is that over the next five to seven years, um, there'll be a, one or two super funds that will have half a trillion dollars or more in assets under management. There'll be a next tier that has two to $300 billion under management. And and they, they those top five or six firms, will, dom- will dictate the the trends in the industry and will actually set the tone for the rest of the marketplace. For us, acquiring MLC was putting ourselves in that category. So we're at 200 billion uh, and looking to grow from there with what we think are the three pivotal aspects uh, or, or value drivers in, in our value chain, which is advice, platforms or administration, largely superannuation, and then asset management. And I think it's the combination of those three in different ways, the right point in time for the client that will ultimately deliver a better client outcomes. Um, so we think we've got the the attributes and the assets, but it's now about creating one organisation, creating one culture, one way of working that's fit for purpose for who we are today, a large, systemically important uh, specialist wealth management organisation. So challenges for us uh, centre around creating one organisation, particularly around culture, as you've already alluded to, we're in the process of recreating our advice business. We acquired um, uh, licensee businesses out of major banks that collectively were losing in excess of $100 million. Now, that that is not sustainable. 
Um, it doesn't go to uh, creating a standalone advice industry. So removal of subsidizations for us has been very important. Making sure we're delivering services to advisors that are valued is very important, and we we should expect to be remunerated for that value. So uh, right-sizing that industry and, and that advice model is of critical importance. And then on the platform side, for us, simplifying the business is really important. And as you would know, the, the product proliferation has been rife for 20 or 30 years, uh, and that's not serving clients well. It's pushing up costs. It's pushing up complexity. Uh, and actually simplifying these businesses will reduce cost, will reduce complexities. It means lower prices for clients and a better outcome for the shareholders of Insignia Financial. So simplification is a key challenge, reinventing the advice industry, and then creating a culture that supports this business for today and for the next decade to come. Uh, sounds uh, like a lot of common sense there, Renato. Um, so just in conclusion, if I'm an advisor, um, what sort of words of wisdom would I get from you being an advocate for advice, obviously by your actions, um, about running a successful business, building a successful business, acquiring clients? What advice would you give me? So firstly, I'd remind you, Chris, that you are in a noble profession. And with the passage of time, financial advice will be considered alongside our legal profession and our medical profession. Um, so you're in a great industry. Uh, second of all, I don't think there's been a better time to be in this industry. Yeah. Now, and the further away we go from the last four or five years, I think the, the more apparent that will become. But in simple economic terms, demand exceeds supply. Uh, what a great time to build the foundations of the next generation of financial advice business. So a great profession at the right time. Um, and in terms of, well, how would you build a great business? Um, don't underestimate the value of the relationships and, and the humanistic aspects. I think with the benefit of hindsight, our industry and our profession has focused a lot on the mathematical, you know, the Greek alphabet and, and the portfolio construction. Let's not forget that it, what people are paying for is a relationship and, and trust. Yeah. Uh, and the importance of minimising waste in how you deliver that. So that is about the efficiency of your processes, fully leveraging technology. Uh, I, I know for... Some advisors say that, well, I've digitized my business, but what they mean is actually they've taken a paper form and just PDF'd it and it's in digital form. That's not digitizing someone's business. So le fully leveraging technology to maximize efficiency, uh, emphasizing the humanistic, humanistic aspects of what we're doing. I, I think client growth won't be a problem. Clients will be falling over themselves to actually to uh, avail themselves of your services. And I, I think the next 10 to 20 years in financial advice have probably been the best 10 or 20 years that this profession's ever seen. Yeah, I agree with that. And it's just a real, at a real tipping point now. I love your term, noble profession. And that's one of the things that attracted me to the Barons organisation. You know, that their whole ethos was to shine the light on the top 1% of advisors, not the bottom 1%, which most of the media are sort of focused on and wringing their hands about. It's all about the bad advisors and um, barons sort of would um, agree with you on that noble profession. It's a great time to be a financial advisor in this country for all the reasons you said, but also the complexity of taxation and superannuation is not going away. So you know, it's not going anytime anything soon, else guys. you want to say in conclusion, Renato? No, look, the, the, only, the only thing I'd like to add is having benefited from 
some of the Barons conferences and exposure to that, both in Australia and offshore, is that um, I like to applaud Barons for being an outstanding organisation for, for for exactly the reasons you've alluded to, shining a light on all, all the great. It's it's easy, I think, to be to hear about all the things that aren't working well, but let's not lose sight that this is a noble profession that for the vast majority of the clients that avail themselves of financial advice are living better lives. And all the research uh, we've done shows that, and I think it's great to have an organisation like Barron's uh, shining its own light on that. And um, and, and so I'd like to applaud their effort. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Well, that, that concludes our uh, podcast for today. Thanks, Renato, for your time. I know you're a very busy man. Um, we really appreciate it. So thank you. Pleasure, Chris. Good to see you.